Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are coming to you live from these United States of America. Myself, well, folks, I'm here in snowy Des Moines, Iowa, where... I'm the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the Executive Vice President for the Newman Idea. You can look up both of those at mchs.edu and newmanidea.org. But out there in, I don't know what sort of weather, Pittsburgh, uh, but tell the good folks what you do out there. It's cold but sunny, blue skies, and I'm here inside the National Institute for Newman Studies um, in the heart of Pittsburgh. And you can find more about our work at newmanstudies.org. And uh, yep. So the Uncommon Good, glad to join you here from KWKY Iowa Catholic Studios. Uh, we love talking to all of our folks out there in the wide world. I know that we are heard live on in Iowa and Oklahoma, anywhere that people listen online at iowacatholicradio.com. And then, of course, we want to thank our many followers who pick us up on the podcast uh, from sea to shining sea, including uh, people across both oceans. Uh, it's wonderful for you guys uh, to make this possible to listen to us. And we are very proud and happy to represent you here on uh, the good old uh, station. Bud, um, it sounds like you guys have not got to do a lot of sledding. Uh, but, you know, you guys just dump out old french fries and, you know, bust your old uh, sleds down that when you have a uh, lack of snow. Yeah, this past week we got enough snow to make the roads dicey, but probably not enough for the kids to truly have fun in uh it's been cold but i know you guys have been frigid yeah uh we've had negative uh 20 degree wind chills which uh it's always great when you live in a part of the state uh, the united states where it needs to warm up to snow so it's snowing today and frankly it feels like a heat wave even though it's snowing uh i i literally had my big old coat on and i was in the car looking like it was trying to strangle me because I was trying to, you know, get it off while keeping one arm, you know, one one hand on the wheel. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, I really – you start to see those pictures of people who are, like, skiing down mountains in, like, swimsuits, and you go, what's going on with those people? And you go, oh, well, if it was negative 20 for, like, three weeks and all of a sudden it's 21 degrees, uh, it feels like a heat wave. Yeah, it's been um, unusually warm in pittsburgh this year so we had our first real cold spell this past week and um and and pittsburghians were very much like the israelites in the desert they were moaning and groaning (laughs) i'm glad that you can bring it back to, to bible stuff whenever we get the chance as always uncommon good coming to you live like i said from kwky iowa catholic radio studios underwritten by mercy college of health sciences uh mchs.edu Uh, Multiple entry points in order to start a host of degrees that you can, some you can complete completely online, some you can get done in a year, uh, starting in fall, spring, and summer, mchs.edu. Bud, do you have any Mercy students this year, uh, and uh, how's the the, the new year starting out for you? Yeah, my roster and servant leadership is chock full, so uh, I've got a good group of students, and they're presently trying to figure out where they want to serve in the Des Moines community. So if you see a young person who looks slightly confused at your local soup kitchen or whatnot, know that it's probably 
a mercy student looking to do good in the community. That's right. And if they, uh, you know, I should say this, but I was sitting in my office and someone is walking by and they pull, it's almost like a movie. They stop and look in and they look at me and I'm like, "Uh oh, <laughs> and then so they, they start walking in <laughs> with their hand extended and they're like, you're Bo Bonner, aren't you? And I was like, uh, yes, you know, you always wonder if you're getting <laughs> sued or something. And they're like, I saw you on a video. You were talking about Aristotle. And I'm like, well, that sounds like me. And I figured out what it was is it's one of your online students who uh, saw a video of us talking about um, Aristotle in class. But uh, so it's always a a happy thing to know that someone's not mad at you. They actually just recognize you from something else. And uh, they're they're, they're hoping to and and telling you good job. So, you know, not too many people get recognized for their Aristotle videos. So I just want to really take this chance to brag about that yeah it's like when you're in the grocery store or something and someone says you're bo bonner aren't you and you're like i didn't do it right but um My, i'm glad it, you it point to your child you point to your child you're like that's bo bonner <laughs> no that's 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 messed up don't <laughs> do that awesome. don't do that you, you, you I still, you've never I still done use that right? those, i still use those videos from a few years ago the aristotle video and some uh some other topics we tackle but you and i should probably record some new ones See, I don't know, though, bud, because I think our clothing was rather sort of, like, timeless at that point. I'm not saying, like, we're great fashionistas or anything. I'm saying I'm trying to remember probably what we wore. We weren't wearing any, like, weird prints or anything that's going to, like, you know, carbon date us. I always think that God was really looking out for the universe when he made video technology not all that available in the 70s and 80s because the little that exists makes people look like, what were you doing immediately upon sight? So, you know, I just think we had some, you know, rather timeless uh, clothes there. I'm not making big uh, predictions about the future, but my point is I think you could probably use it for another 10 or 15 years. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, this Christmas I watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation again, and there's this scene where he's watching videos of Christmas's past. And I think we should just intentionally design video technology so that it's kind of grainy in things, uh, not only because it maximizes the nostalgia effect, but also hides in felicities or, you know, any. <laughs> anything like that i look i look better when footage of me is grainy i like that uh well another thing that people are grainy about uh w- especially with primaries coming up is political participation understood uh in the catholic social tradition and being that we're the uncommon good we figured that it's good to kind of bring out a primer on those sort of issues so that's what we're going to talk about today stick around this is the uncommon good we'll be back right after this <laughs> Common good. Thank you for coming back with us. I'm Bo Bonner here with Dr. Bud Marr. We are coming to you live from KWKY Iowa Catholic Radio Studios on this Wednesday. It's wonderful to join you. Thanks you for listening to the show. Bud, we are talking about, well, we're talking about eagles. Uh, I, and let me tell you, when you go to break after you mention something, uh, you can learn a lot in a minute because I got a refresher about how many bald eagles actually there are in Iowa. And uh, they're all over the place, as it turns out. Um, but one of the other things we promised was to talk about political participation. And I'm sure we'll work in bald eagle metaphors at some point. Um, but this is the sort of season to talk about what does it mean to have a active participatory life in the political uh, realm, structure, etc. As a Catholic, um, we have students getting ready to drive, if not already uh, en route, to uh, the March for Life. 
later this week. Uh, we have the Iowa caucuses coming up very soon. You can't live in Iowa without knowing this. Uh, this is now my second go-round, and I realize that just like in New Orleans, uh, Mardi Gras season is sort of like a holiday only they have. Uh, in Iowa, <laughs> there's primary season uh, during presidential elections, and it's this whole other deal. We should make a cake that somehow, you know, like king cake, uh, at any rate. Uh, but there's this, so, you know, we have votes coming up. We have marches. We have considering the issues. And so we ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a political participant in our order uh, in 2020 and all that that entails for a Catholic? Uh, so, But I think it's a lot thornier issue than people might realize. And digging into the issue at all, it, it can be quite paralyzing, to be honest. Uh, hopefully we can work through some of what we mean by political participation faithfully uh, in tune with the Catholic social teaching. Um, I don't know, but any opening remarks that, to, to sort of clear the path to talking about what that might mean? Yeah, I like that word that you use there, thorny. It would be easier for us if uh, Scripture, I think, just gave this really like simplistic, straightforward answer. And I think this is a case where, uh, as Catholics, we have to be willing to dig deeply into God's Word and see what it says. For me, there, like when you were talking, there are a few passages that immediately jumped to mind. Of course, in, in the first epistle from St. John, he famously says that we're to be in the world, but not of the world. And so for me, the interesting question is, what does it look like as followers of Christ to be in the world, but not of the world? And I think our Lord gives us a lot of direction uh, in that regard. It's maybe not things that we always want to hear, but... The first pushback, real quickly, that I would give is, so you take a famous instance where Christ, for instance, is before Pontius Pilate, and he says to Pilate, um, my, my kingdom is not of this world, and sort of calls into question, like Pilate thinks he's controlling what's taking place and that he holds Christ's destiny in his hands. And Jesus says, you know, like, if, if I wanted to, I could end this right now, but my kingdom is not of this world. And I think uh, some of us, when we first hear that verse on the surface, the idea that we get is there's like power, like no power in this world. And then what Jesus was doing was something completely spiritual, sort of like the kingdom of God is within you. But uh, and, and we can get into this fur further, but as I've studied that passage and, and especially looked at like really helpful commentaries on it, I would argue, but maybe you could push back here. Uh, Jesus is not exactly saying my kingdom is only spiritual what he's saying is that my authority derives from a higher power than yours it's not of this world this power comes from a different place and so this is actually the first step towards our lord uh disarming the principalities and powers as saint paul talked about it and so there's something like a little different going on than simply there's earthly power and then there's spiritual power and our job is to sort of button down the hatches and just wait for that moment we reach heaven this is The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr coming to you live from KWKY Iowa Catholic Radio Studios. And as you hear Bud so masterfully putting it, what we're asking about today is how are we going to 
relate what our Lord says about this, uh, that we are in the world but not of the world, uh, with what we're going to do about the political life that we live here in 2020. Uh, and exactly right, Bud, you're pointing out aspects from Scripture uh, that, that have to weigh on our hearts to sort of help us figure out what we're going to do. Pontius Pilate assumes that to, if Jesus is claiming to be king, he's going to act in very obvious kingly ways. But actually what we see instead is that something else is going on, but it's going on here. Something from the outside of the world is breaking in, but it's still breaking in here. And I think two claims, or let me say two words that we have to do a better job of defining what we mean in the Catholic terms. Um, one is the one that, that you brought up from the scripture, world. What do we mean by world when we say in and of? That That's a claim that we have to ask and, and sort of clarify, um, because clearly there's a way in which we have to navigate this world, and we have to talk about what is in and of it and outside of it, everything like that. And to be in it means we have to know what it means that we are in the midst of. Um, (coughs) Another one, it seems to me, is the very words we're using uh, as the theme of the show. So participation, we can get into that, but the other one is the political. What does it mean to be political? I think I'll start with that one and then get into uh, maybe throwing out questions about what the world means um, that we can both talk about. Uh, We've said this many times on the show, but the political in its most basic way is to be understood the Greek word polis, which means city. So anything that is political means of the city, of our life together in an organized way. So in the Greek sense, the Roman sense, I think the sort of classical understanding is you can have all sorts of human formations that are sort of pre-political uh, or even apolitical. You can live uh, in an, an anarchist wilderness as a bunch of brigands or, or pirates. Uh, you can live nomadically. There's plenty of, of course, human history that is nomadic. And um, we use the word tribal, although that probably has attendant problems in our imagination. But of course, the idea is groups of people that are not living in a city in a sort of organized way. Uh, there are parts of the things that can either be in cities or not and consist of both. So the family is pre-political because there's families whether you live in cities or not. But the idea is to live the life in a city is to imagine submitting our wills to something larger than ourselves and being in the midst of that. So there's a way in which, of course, this even applies to you know humans that live in more nomadic structures, but it preeminently applies to human cities places where people submit part of their sort of freedom to live in uh, conjuncture and communion with other groups of people. And the city, it seems like, is intended by God to be something that humanity has worked towards because heaven itself is understood as a city and proclaimed so in Scripture. So when we talk about political participation, there's, of course, the way in which to be a part of a city in any way counts for political participation. Taking out your garbage, to being friendly to neighbors, to getting your kids educated, to attending worships, services, all political in their own ways. Of course, in the modern world, we really have this idea that to be political is things like voting or uh, things like uh, keeping up with candidates, uh, going on marches, going on demonstrations. We've sort of, uh, I don't want to say solidified, uh, we've sort of reduced, and not in a bad way uh, necessarily, sort of like a reduction when you're cooking, right? We've boiled down the political life to certain activities, primarily because we live in a democratic society, so we put a lot of emphasis on voting as part of how we rule, Um, and there's a way in which this short shrifts the fullest meaning 
of politics and the political participation. But there's also a way in which we live in, here's the other word, the world that we live in. And if this world sees a bifurcation between political things I do, holding signs, going on demonstrations and voting, versus the sort of quidotion or maybe private things that I do, have families, uh, participate in sports, again, go to church, you can start to see why this divide matters so much to the world. I'll say this, bud, before I throw it back to you, because I want to hear what you say. Um, when we talk about the world and bifurcations and things like this, we can talk about them being out of control. So the modern world separates private and, and public too much. Catholic social teaching, I think, says as much. Um, we can say that the modern world separates out the political from the private too much. But certainly they got this idea about making these huge splits because of Christianity itself, because the Christian idea of the world being different than the kingdom of God. So, but I throw that back out to you. If we know what the political is, um, both what it is in its fullest sense, but also maybe in the more narrow sense uh, that the modern world talks about it, let's get into that. What, what is the world and what, what do, does Christianity mean and why do we have a vested interest in talking about the world that way? Well, the way that scripture talks about the world reminds me of the same rhetoric that's used with regard to the flesh. So when St. Paul, for instance, uses the word flesh, sometimes he can just mean life in the body. So Sarks, the Greek, of course, just talks about being fleshly creatures, embodied creatures. But in other cases in the New Testament, that word is used with kind of a negative connotation, like we we battle against the, the desires of the flesh or put your put your flesh under subjection. And I think it's the same way with the world. So in one sense, we use the term the world innocuously. I think of something like the prophet Jeremiah, where when the people of Israel are in exile, he says, seek the welfare of the city to which you've been sent. And when he's talking about the city to which you've been sent, we could say that is that is the world. Like we use that term sort of globally just to refer to human existence. There's also, especially when you get into the later parts of the New Testament, like the, the letters that were written later, I think you begin to see this kind of like there's the world spirit, uh, sometimes maybe like the spirit of Antichrist. And so there's, uh, there, there's, there's an innocuous sense, but there's also a way in which we have to recognize those elements of the structures that have been put into place that undermine or run against or contrary to God's will. And so... I, Bo, do you remember which pope it is who said restoring all things in Christ? Was that St. Pius X? Um, uh, yes, I'm uh, relatively sure, but now I, mean, I am embarrassed to admit. I, <laughs> I, don't, mean to, I don't mean to subject you to <laughs> Catholic trivia like on the spot, but uh, maybe it was Leo Thirteenth, one of like the late 19th century, early 20th century popes. And when, I, when you read the whole scope of Scripture, I think that phrase really captures our vocation. So Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, and again, you might think with maybe a character of what Christianity is about, that the goal of human life at that point is simply to wait for God's redemption to pull us out of the world or to lead us to heaven. But from the very beginning, Adam and Eve are a king and a queen, and they're, they're priests. And even the, even the construction of the tabernacle is meant to be a partial restoration of what Eden was, which was God's design for human life in the world. 
And so anything that we participate in, whether that's education, um, party politics, healthcare, all of those things are not ancillary to being Christian. Those are all ways that we witness to the redemption that God is bringing in, in, into the world. You're listening to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, coming to you live broadcasted from KWKY Iowa Catholic Radio Studios. Thank you for all our listeners for tuning in to the show. Bud, uh, you you did a, a Catholic trivia check, and I was able to confirm, yes, St. Pius uh, X, restoring all things in Christ, which we should know as uh, that is commonly on our show, one of our taglines, but thank you. <laughs> now, um, uh, n- not only do I think you're absolutely right, I think that that starts to show the nature of our relationship to the world world, that it, it's not adversarial uh, in a sort of light and dark, good or bad, uh, two sides pitted against each other. Now, people will then say, but constantly in Scripture, and then certainly with how saints and theologians talk about it, there are certainly martial, warlike theme terms that we talk about the world, the war against the spirit and the flesh, as you alluded to earlier, is uh, paralleled when we talk about the war between the kingdom of God and, and uh, the, the city of man, uh, the, 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 we have this sort of warfare imagery. What I think you're pointing out, and by the way, I love that you point out that Adam and Eve are also king and queen, so now when all the millennials go around calling each other, hey, king, hey, queen, you know, we'll make it theological. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, what I actually think, right. what we have to say is it's the the, mar- the martial imagery and the warfare imagery is more like infiltration. Now, I know people will be very uncomfortable with this, but I have a history of pointing it out this way. I've, I've also called Catholicism when lived out to its best as contagious, nasty, rash Catholicism, right? That the idea of the truth is contagious, and that it's not our job to give people the truth, but to infect them with it. Well, I, I think the same thing happens with the political, our life in the city, we're called to do in the world, but not of it. So we're not of the world because we have this gift of being the daughters and sons of God, but we are to infect the world with the truth of its actual creator. Now, it's not something completely alien. I think that a lot of the theological difficulties, bud, that we get into when it comes to social teaching, to a lot of other things, is because even the infiltration sort of idea, when we get that right, people see it as an infiltration as something that has never been done before, right? So the world doesn't know what to do with the gospel because it's sort of this alien thing. And any rhetoric that uses this, of course, right, all analogies limp except in the point of comparison, an old scholastic adage. Uh, People can make it a little bit too easy, like I said, sound like, we are an alien infestation of the world, the world that has no understanding of God except um, that this like new thing overtaking it. But of course, really what it's more like is a reconquest, a reconquista. This world belongs to God. It's fallen out of uh, the kingdom of God through its own sickness, but also through the attacks of people outside of it, uh, the devil and the people who follow him. We are infiltrating to win back what already belongs to God, and this infiltration starts to be the way that I think we should think of political life, political participation in the world. The world is not a horrible garment of evil. Uh, it's not, a, it's not a, a, an alien thing that we must hate and despise. 
it's something that we will win back. And like you said with St. Paul, there's the flesh, which means like the body, but then there's the flesh more specifically, like that part of us that has fallen to uh, Adam's child of sin. That we must get rid of for the sake of the body, the bigger flesh. So we rid the, the, the very particular understanding of the flesh for the sake of the larger flesh. The same thing with the world. We want to get rid of that fallen aspect of the world. That's what we're infiltrating. But for the sake of the larger understanding of the world, the new heavens and the new earth redeemed for the sake of God. First off, I just want to say I appreciate the fact that you're redeeming the term infiltration and i'll leave it at that but i like that shout out um secondly uh when you're talking there it reminds me of one of the more difficult parables i think that christ gave and that was the parable of the shrewd manager Mm. where there's this manager of a household and there's several people who owe his master money and what he does he says well like eventually my master is going to ask me about this and so what i'll do is i'll go to each person and rather than asking for the full amount he cuts a deal with them. So one owes like 900 uh, shillings or whatever, and he says, why, why don't you just pay me 450 And the master actually commends this shrewd manager for getting some back. On the surface to us, it looks like, like, wow, was this guy really in the right? Like, It kind of feels like he's cutting corners or you know, not really fulfilling his full obligation. And Jesus surprisingly says, like he commends the shrewd manager and says, like in some cases, the the people of this world are shrewder than the children of light. And I, I've puzzled over the conclusion of that parable, but like one thing that I see in it is that I think Christ may be saying that in certain cases, like the people of this world who are not working on behalf of the kingdom of God, they're willing to use what's in front of them to advance their cause, whereas for us. Uh, sometimes, you know, like, again, we may reduce to witnessing to the gospel as simply like evangelism or marching when really, and this gets back to even the mission of Iowa Catholic Radio, but also the work that the church has done in healthcare and education in any instance where saints and where, you know, servants of the kingdom said, we're not going to abandon this part of life to the people of mammon. Like we, like the church needs to, to be about this as well. So just thinking, I think about creative ways of utilizing what's in front of us, obviously like with integrity, but utilizing those things to reach people who might not otherwise be exposed to the redemptive work that God's doing. No, I that we're, we're getting up to the break, but I think when we get back, there's a lot more to unpack, specifically, you know, Jesus saying that the people uh, of this world, are, yeah, their relationship with mammon uh, is much more... Uh, creative in a way and that's mammon the dead thing mammon that can't live on its own what are what are we who have the living god what are we willing to do creatively for the sake of the kingdom so when we get back uh we'll talk about that this is the uncommon good bo bonner and dr bud mar broadcasting live from kwky iowa catholic radio studios we'll be back right after this Back to the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Budmar coming to you live this Wednesday from KWKY Iowa Catholic Radio Studios. We are talking about political participation in and of the world. Uh, with everything coming up, March for, for Life, uh, the, the primaries, getting ready to vote, all of the different 
aspects of what we would commonly call the political life in the United States. It's easy to forget and uh, how this relates to our faith. Uh, it's easy to either ignore it completely or act like it's just a list of bullet points or sort of mandates about vote for these people and not these people. Boom, I'm done. I've been political as I'm supposed to. We're hoping to get to some fundamentals to help us wrestle with what does it mean to have political participation in the world, not of the world, in 2020. For all of our listeners, we're glad you're joining the show and joining the conversation with us. So, Bud, you left off talking about one of the more difficult parables that Jesus says, and I, I think most yeah. people will admit this, because it sure does seem that what Jesus is saying is that this shrewd dealer who cut deals uh, with uh, clients when he found out that he was getting uh, canned by his boss, essentially, you know, yeah. we would almost imagine that the parable, and we're hearing it, and like, oh yeah, Jesus is going to say that this guy's lying or that this guy's stealing. So th- clearly, this is the bad guy. And then, as most of his parables do, there's this huge reversal. He gets praised because he is more willing to be. And you know, th- this is where I'm sure if we all knew Greek, maybe uh, we could get to the nuances. Mm-hmm. But but the English really does get at something like he he's more creative. He, he uses his wits. He has a better relationship willing to be cunning with mammon than yeah the children of light not only with well, mammon I, but with everything i i left out maybe like the most uh penetrating phrase from that chapter of the gospel where jesus says the master commended the dishonest manager because he he had acted shrewdly it's like you said we could get into the greek about What's the term there for dishonest? What's the term for shrewdly? But then when Jesus applies it to our current context, he says to his disciples, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, he immediately transitions into, we can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and mammon. But it's fascinating to me that Christ says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. One of the things I find very fascinating about that as well, Bud, is so he he says that the shrewd man uh, manager, and then he goes, "You can't serve two masters. You can't serve man, mammon and God." The implication being is what the the what the shrewd manager did was not see mammon as some sort of god to be enchanted by, where you can imagine when things go bad. You can love money a certain way where you'd go like, well, I would never I would never use mammon this way, right? People will talk about it in terms as if they're talking about um, a god or even a being, something living. But instead he goes, well, mammon's just mammon. And mammon, you know, again, that's a whole complicated thing maybe too that we can give some background to. But mammon's just money. And he goes like, money's money. And if, if, if I'm... If I need to win myself friends because I'm about to be kicked out of my job and I'll have nowhere to stay, he goes, look, all money is is an instrument. You use it to buy stuff. You know, it's an index for, uh, you know, price considerations and trade. You know, you can get into all the technical details about what debt and money is. But the shrewd manager goes, look, I don't have any beholdenness to the money. I'm about to get canned from, from the ruler. He doesn't care. I need a place to stay. I'm going to use mammon to win friends because I'm about to be bad off in a very soon, quick way. And so Jesus commends him for being shrewd and in not making mammon his master. 
it's weird to think about this way, but that's what he's after, right? The shrewd guy decided mammon is not my master. It is an instrument. I will use it to win friends so I have a place to say when I lose this job, when the ruler kicks me out. So Jesus goes, how many of us who are children of light serve mammon like it is a second master, as if we can serve it and God? And so he goes, look, if these people who are not even Christians, not even people of Israel, if these people who are not even beholden to be honest or anything like this know that they can use mammon as an instrument instead of being beheld, beholden to it, to treat it like an idol, why are you? Why are you treating it that way? No, if you're going to use the things of this world, use them as instruments to win, like he says, eternal friendship, eternal dwelling places. Well, who are those people, bud? Who are the type of friends that can have uh, <laughs> shore you up in eternal, uh, friendship, eternal places to live? Well, God alone, Jesus Christ, right? Make friends with God through your instrumental use of mammon. And like you're pointing out, and I think this is the analogy we're making, the same thing with anything in this world. Are you going to be enchanted and beholden by mammon, by the political process, by fame, by notoriety, by honor, by any of these things that in their own right can have obvious goods about them, but become idols when we become beholden to them? And I think that's the radical thing that we have to talk about, to be political in the world but not of it, to participate in the world but not of it, is to not be beheld to mammon, to not act like we can serve two masters, and realize that all of these things of the world are instrumental and should be put to instrumental use for the sake of the kingdom. This is The Uncommon Good, broadcasting live from KWKY Iowa Catholic Radio Studios, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. So Bud, I, I've droned on for a while, but I think that's what you're getting at, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And but one thing that I've learned from you is that when we think about this kind of kingdom building that we're talking about or witnessing to the salvific work that God is doing in the world, there can be a certain kind of gratuity to it because the way that the world today thinks about money is very much often about um, maximizing profits or being efficient or ensuring that there's always going to be enough there whereas when jesus talks about the kingdom he says it's a pearl of great price and someone who realizes that will sell everything to obtain that pearl and i think when you get into the lives of the saints you see this kind of almost like recklessness when it comes to i i mean obviously when we run our our hospitals and our schools like there's a sense where like tabbing the guy who's good at the business side of things there's a real virtue to that but also being willing to to risk beyond what isn't just like necessarily efficient or prudent. You think about someone like Francis of Assisi, and when he dedicated himself to living out apostolic poverty, his his business person dad drug him before like a magistrate and said, "Make my son pay back everything that he took." And Francis actually strips himself and says, "Like I have no father from here on out except my heavenly Father." And so I think what he's actually like sort of radically demonstrating for his dad is like, you want me to pay back just like what you lost because your son didn't go into the business or what I've given away to the poor, but like I'm letting go of everything. And that's why I think at this point, boy, we could probably transition into like for Christians, what does detachment mean? Like a holy detachment? Because when the saints talk about this, 
they're talking about something different than like what we see in Buddhist thought, where you're trying to extinguish all desire. Whereas in the in the Christian tradition, detachment never means like letting go of all desire or you know like not properly ordering the goods of this world. But it's it's abandoning oneself to the providence of God, so that I'm going to take this risk for the kingdom. I'm going to go start the Newman idea, right. even though some people around me tell me it's not wise or the best thing to do. Wait, who are I these believe- people, bud? Give me names. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> Bo, I've been meaning to talk to you about something. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Sorry. But 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 no, like uh, saying like this risk is I like God is calling me to this. On the other hand, you know I don't control the results, and God may in his good province tell me like this isn't meant to be um but i i guess like getting beyond that kind of like trepidation where we're not willing to step out because it doesn't fit the world standards of efficiency and prudence this is the uncommon good coming live to you from kwky iowa catholic radio studios bo bonner and dr bud marr talking about political participation in but not of the world but you hit on something very interesting that i think uh, can be dis discomforting, disorienting for how a lot of people who who are active, they might not like hearing this, but I, I think this is a, a, a proper thing to dwell on. We should be willing to give up everything, and when people ask us to go one mile, we'll go two. That's the example you give of Saint Francis of Assisi. The world in the person of his dad goes, "Give me what you owe," and like you said, he meant the money I lost because you didn't do the job. And he goes, I'll give you back everything you gave me, Dad, including you be- you being my dad. I, I, in a way, I give you back your, your fatherhood, and I'll, I'll, only God will be my father. Something I'm sure his dad was absolutely not expecting and had to rock his world about, like you said, the detachment, not in a sort of uh, stoic way of, of letting go of all attachments, but realizing that God can radically use any of this and being willing to, so to speak, put it in the hands of God to use as he will. But I think people are going to think that when we say we have to be even atta- detached from a lot of political aspects that that we would use in terms of rights language, for instance. We, we live in an era that talks about we have the right to do this, the right to vote, the right to speak. We talk a lot about rights. Even when we're using them well, we talk about the right to life. And it's not wrong. <laughs> right or wrong, get it. Uh, it's not wrong to talk about these things in the nomenclature in the words that the current situation the current world uses i would caution in some ways us who are catholics to think about it in absolute terms one of them being is we really didn't talk about rights in the way we do now we often talk more about sacred obligations and rights actually uh for a lot of catholic social teaching but certainly they've they've taken their own light that has a lot of modernity and a lot of non-catholic uh basis for for bringing up these things i, I don't want to diminish that there's obviously so much that we do correctly talking about rights what i'm getting at is the sort of absolutism about it that if we start to make a political entity like the right to vote an idol will start to run afoul of exactly what you're saying, bud, which is being willing to marshal in a disinterested way whatever means we have to serve the Lord. People often think that if you're going to talk about idols, it's easy when you're talking about bad things. They don't get uncomfortable. They're like, yeah, the idol of crack cocaine. We're behind you, Bo. (laughs) We're against that idol. And you're like, well, great. 
you're not currently bowing to that idol very often, or you're not even tempted to. But when we say the idol of, let's hit the big ones, bud, family. When we talk about the idol of the right to vote or the right to talking about rights at all, the idol of mammon and money, which we want. So on the flip side, right, we want to point out money's an obvious good. To have money does things like make Iowa Catholic Radio happen. You can go to iowacatholicradio.com and donate right now. So the idea that we're trying to act like money is bad in some sort of way on its own. Paul doesn't say money is the root of all evil. The love of, the, of money is the root of all that's evil. But notice that every single one of those idols have their own enchantments. And then if they enchant us, we will try to serve two or more masters. They become idols. And then we can't have the detachment, the Christian detachment that you're talking about that is so necessary. So even when it comes to the rights we have to go march, like those kids are all going to do right now, and that we're proud of them for doing. Even when it comes to money that we have earned and can use in a good way, even when it comes to family, what the greatest gift that God gives us, and here's the kicker, bud, even when it comes to life itself, the gift that God gives at the beginning and that we must protect from the beginning to the end, we can make idols of all of them. We can become enchanted through all of them. However, when we use them shrewdly, like the dishonored, dishonest steward who used mammon shrewdly in the parable, we will truly become children of light, disinterested in the sort of worldly measure of how to use them well, because we will use them for the kingdom of God, and they will win us eternal friendships with an eternal life that can never be taken away from us. That's the difficult part of political participation in and not of the world. But that's where we're at. This is the Uncommon Good Broadcasting live, KWKY, Iowa Catholic Radio Studios. I'm Bo Bonner talking to Dr. Bud Marr. Bud, one more time. I really went off on that one. Anything stick out to you that you <laughs> want to bring up? Yeah, I think when, when you bring up the topic of family, that's a great illustration. In the past, I've been puzzled because Christ sometimes says things that, just to paint in broad strokes, could be interpreted as anti-family. So he says, you know, if you're going to truly follow him, you must hate mother and father, brother and sister. Uh, he's, he says, blessed are those who have left everything, including family, to radically follow me. And then you start reading the popes, and sometimes you'll get John Paul II talking a lot about the family and saying, you know, the family is the basic building block of society and needs to be preserved. And so uh, the question starts to become, like, how do we navigate these kind of different sort of um, complexions that we see to the Catholic faith? And I think it's what you're talking about, Bo. Like, if we say we're going to focus on the family and make that the end, then it's very likely that the family could become an idol. But if we're saying, no, there's a, there's a way to live virtuously and to live with integrity with the commitments that we make, for instance, in marriage, but ultimately all of that is subordinated to the kingdom of God, then I'm going to celebrate when one of my children enters religious life or decides to become a priest. I'm going to say... Uh, if anyone ever tries to coerce me to be unfaithful to God through, you know, like the commitments that I have um, as, a, as, as a father and husband, those always have to be subordinated to um, our higher calling. And we see that with someone like St. Francis. I know you and I had uh, a professor in graduate school. This is one moment where it kind of hit home for me, where sometimes he'd get angry emails from parents who said my son and daughter were... They, they, they came here to become a doctor or a lawyer, and now they want to study theology or they want to enter the ministry or become a missionary. And um, 
for, for me, it was kind of a telling moment. Again, we're not at any point saying like to practice medicine would be negative or somehow even necessarily a lesser calling, but we should always celebrate when God calls uh, our children into like a specific kind of work, especially a high calling like like the priesthood or religious life. Well, but and this is the thing where, and, and honestly, that you kind of see this pendulum swing back and forth uh, in different parts of the Christian world, uh, in Christian times even, is well, celibacy is celebrated at the sort of detriment of marriage. And, and of course, people will get yeah. into this, right? That they'll say like, oh, well, marriage, you know, if you have wife and kids, you're going to have concerns uh, that you wouldn't have if you're not. St. Paul says that. Um, and then I think we can sometimes, I certainly, I think we're in the midst of a swing where we really prize marriage. And so then people are like, why aren't there enough priests? And you're like, well, you kind of make it sound like being married is exactly the same as uh, being a priest and celibate. What I think both miss, but both kind of get right, is we have to make the things that are worthy, uh, not worthy, the things that are possible to make idols, we have to be honest about why they're so good, so that when we give them up, they're a worthy sacrifice. I'm sorry, folks, it is the case that celibacy is better than marriage, as it is claimed and talked about in the New Testament Jesus Christ himself saying, eunuchs for the kingdom, St. Paul saying this as well. But this only makes sense if marriage is a great, great, great good. And this is the problem we run into all the time, both in the political world, but Catholics pull this off as well. We think that if we're going to talk about something being the better, higher calling, that must poo-poo everything under it. But it's not a higher calling. Indeed, it's not the great infathomable sacrificial calling unless we admit how wonderful and great the thing we're willing to give up for it is. Poverty by the life of Jesus Christ is superior. I'm saying it here. Superior to the life of riches. Only because the life of having riches can be so good. Because you can give so much. You can support people. You can support the church. Indeed, the church can't exist without those people. However, poverty is lady poverty, the beautiful thing that St. Francis followed, that Jesus followed, that Jesus commended in his own life. But it can only be good if riches were literally good enough to be idolized. If they were literally just trash and like, oh, obviously, you, you guys who are uh, obsessed with riches, uh, you, you're just misunderstanding the world. No, that's ridiculous. They have to be wonderful so that when people sacrifice those, they are a worthy sacrifice for the one thing that's actually better, right? So spiritual poverty uh, for, for celibacy for the sake of the kingdom. Being celibate just for the fun of it is not better than marriage. Celibacy for the kingdom <laughs> is. So you, you start to see this in everything about polit being political, political participation in but not of the world. We have to talk about the wonderful greatness of the created world so that when we say that we will sacrifice these wonderful things for the sake of a higher kingdom, we're not trashing the thing we're sacrificing. We are sacrificing the unblemished lambs, people. We have to find the gifts that God gave us that mean so much to us that they can any way compare to the sacrifice that Christ, that God gave us, which is his son that died for us. And I think that that's what we must always keep in mind. Political participation in but not of the world doesn't mean abandoning the world 
or trashing the world. It means realizing the great goodness of the world and then realizing that there is something even better that we will make those sacrifices for. But we've ran out of time. Wonderful discussion. Thank you for uh, all the great points. Especially you, you were really on t- uh, top of it with the biblical quotations today. Yeah, definitely. It was a lot of fun. This is the uncommon good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, our city, our state, our nation, the entire world, solar system, galaxies, the whole kit and caboodle. This is the uncommon good. We'll be back with you next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.